0: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Jean Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com/slash/everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barons is qualitative and quantitative including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engines' Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of Everyday Wealth. I'm Gene Chatsky. One of my favorite things about this show is that each week I get to talk to experts all over the country on a wide variety of topics that I'm interested in, and I know you're interested in. One of the most popular is longevity, not just living longer, but living with purpose, with a better quality of life, and of course, knowing that you have the financial resources to do it. For today's show, we've curated some of the best guest interviews that we've done on longevity. Each one of our guests as an expert in their respective field, and put together, you'll get a deep dive into the longevity landscape, living longer, living better, living with purpose. First up is Dr. Ken Dykewald, the country's foremost expert on aging, to talk about the risk of outliving your money and how having a financial advisor can help. Next, we'll hear from author Michael Clinton about how to reimagine an extended retirement and make the most of it. And finally, we'll talk to Aaron Smith, a director of estate planning at Edelman Financial Engines, about estate planning in a world with an increasing life expectancy. I'm so happy to be able to welcome my friend, Dr. Ken Dykdwald, to the show. Over the past 40 years, he has emerged as the visionary, the most original thinker on the lifestyle and healthcare and economic and workforce implications of aging. He has written 19 books on age-related issues. This is the latest. It is called Radical Curiosity, One Man's Search for Cosmic Magic and a Purposeful Life, and we'll get into purpose as well. And of course, he's the founder and CEO of Age Wave, which is a think tank and consultancy focused on social and business implications of global aging and rising longevity. Ken, always such a pleasure to talk to you.
2: Gene, it is so good to be with you. Always is.
1: Let's just start with how retirement is different for this generation of retirees than it has been for prior generations.
2: Yeah, let's keep in mind that for our grandmas and grandpas, if they were fortunate enough to reach retirement age, they expected a couple of years of time after work, and since work was largely physical, a chance to relax and rest, maybe take a trip, visit with the family, and then their batteries wore out. For our parents, it was a little bit more of an extended period of life, and we got to watch our moms and dads retire, not for three or four years but often for 15 or 20. The boomers are a whole different kettle of fish. Boomers think of this as a whole new chapter in life, a time to reinvent oneself, a time to think of new things to do, maybe to relocate, make new friends, remove toxic friends from your scene. Uh, if you're widowed or divorced, maybe fall in love again. Uh, a much more aspirational, hopeful view of long life. But I do want to say that... Uh, In my own family, I'm going to tag to something you were mentioning early on. I was lucky enough to have a mom and dad who had 71 years together. Wow. But my dad was blind for his last 10 years, and my mother had Alzheimer's her last 12 years, neither of which either of them would have imagined for themselves. And I want to tell you, my dad was a diabetic, and so he imagined he would live 60 or 65 years. And he made sure he has sufficient resources to go those years and then to have our mom looked after after that. Well, my dad lived to 93. He far outlived his money and my mom did too. And so how hard was it for him to have to take a check from me every month? He was a very proud guy, never wanted to be a burden on the family. And that's the way a lot of boomers feel. They don't ever want to be a burden on their families but if they live longer than they have got the money for, that's exactly what's going to happen.
1: I know that you have looked at different ways that retirees or future retirees can cope with this. Need to not outlive the money ways that they can become more resilient over time, even if they suffer some health setbacks or financial setbacks. Can you talk through those? How, how are people who have not perhaps saved as much as they would like managing?
2: Well, the good news is there's lots of different things that people can do, and I'll mention just a few. First, we need to understand that one of the biggest problems is we are creating in longevity. By the way, it's gone back during the COVID years, yeah. but it will continue to rise. But we don't match our health spans to our lifespans. So the average American will spend between 10 and 15 years at the end of their life with illness, with hurt, with pain, with money going out the door. So one way to be able to have a more financially secure retirement is to take better care of your health. Another reasonably easy solution, especially in this low unemployment era, is to work a bit longer. And people think, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to work. Well, how would you feel about having no money at the end of your life? Maybe a couple of three extra years of work, even half time, can make a big difference in shoring up your resources. Then there's another thing that people are thinking of doing. Maybe you relocate, uh, you downsize to a maybe lesser expensive part of the area where you live, or maybe you move to a different part of the country where there's lower taxes or your money will go more of a distance. And I think that those are just some of the changes. By the way, I want to add one more. There was a science fiction show back in the 1980s. No, it was not the Flintstones. It was Golden Girls. And the idea of having. (laughs) Housemates, you know, over the age of 75, 42% of all women in America live alone. That's very expensive. And I, I get the idea of having your own house and it reflects independence, which people think of as, you know, something quite important. But to have a housemate, to have a roommate, whether it's through Airbnb or whether it's having your sister or brother move in or a grandchild uh, can cut expenses and cut the need for hiring help and allow people to live their later years with more security.
1: When we're trying to wrap our brains around preparing in the right way, many of us, I know you do, I know I do, meet with financial advisors. When you're going to have the question with a financial advisor about Longevity and, and about making sure that as much as possible your bases are covered. What do you need to talk about sitting in that office?
2: Hmm. That's such a great question. But how do you engage that discussion with a financial advisor or a professional? Not a bad idea. Often, financial advisors will say, you know, at what age do you want to retire and what's your tolerance for risk? They should also say, how long do you think you might live? And that's a tough question because we don't know. People have to think in terms of how long their parents lived. But our parents lived with yesterday's medicine. We're going to be living with tomorrow's technological breakthroughs. Also, a good idea to say, well, what if my spouse outlives me? Hmm. So we know that women live about four to five years longer than men. And in the United States, if a woman is partnered with a man, he will be inclined to be two and a half years on average older than her which means that the women will wind up caring for the man towards the end of his life, but then he passes away, she's depleted, they've spent down a lot of their money, and she's going to live another 10 years. So a responsible couple will not only ask or be asked, how long might we live, but what if one of us lives much longer? How do we make sure that we've got plans in place or the right financial instruments so that in case we're blessed with extra longevity. It's not a punishment. It's it's a gift. We don't have to find ourselves being burned on in the family or or be going to sleep every night terrified because we don't have the resources to pay the bills.
1: You mentioned uh retirees for lack of a better word working. And I think that there are a lot of really good reasons for that. I think it it avoids the problem of loneliness. It keeps you connected. It keeps you engaged. I, I expect that it would keep me happier to keep one foot in the world of work. And there are financial benefits as well. But for some people, it's not work that does it. It's this idea that you have found a different purpose that can keep you connected and engaged and happy. Your book, Radical Curiosity, it really dives into this because you dove into it. So talk to me a little bit about purpose and how we find it.
2: Purpose is a tricky one. Yet when we contemplate life after work, it might be 25 years, not four. And there are no orientation programs. There is no good solid one and. In- one place book. And what I try to do in, in Radical Curiosity is one of the things that I think we all need to do when we're growing up is to take a few minutes or a few weeks or years in my case to try to figure out what are the lessons you've learned? What are the lessons you want to pass on to younger generations? Because studies that have been done in the last few years, my company, Age Wave, has done many of them on purpose show that people are looking for something meaningful to do and be. Keep in mind that for the last 10 years, the average retiree in America has watched 47 hours of television a week. Wow. So we have a lot of older adults with no purpose. They're just taking up time and trying to be comfortable. People are, always feel better when they do a little volunteer work or when they're involved in some kind of work that may be even something different than they did in their career or they're living closer to family or they're finding meaning in their lives. And what I try to do in Radical Curiosity is sort of gather up my life lessons for my children and one day for their children. And this whole idea of sort of making sense of your life is also one, psychologist will tell us, one of the exercises of adulthood that more and more of us should spend a little time thinking about what has been our purpose. And maybe there's even a new purpose now um we're seeing you know 75 and 80 year olds running for president yes Uh, i tried to get tickets for the springsteen tour and they were all sold out in the first 15 minutes and he's 73 you know jagger just turned 80 and so what we're seeing are new role models of men and women of maturity living their lives with purpose and i think more and more of us have got to figure out How do we find our own? And how do we meet people who can help turn us on versus just being stuck in who we used to be?
1: In addition to all the other hats that you wear, I think you're a bit of a futurist. What impact do you think the baby boomers, the fact that we're at peak 65 next year, the year where more boomers will turn 65 than any other year, what impact is that going to have on retirement?
2: You want to hear the good news first or the bad news first?
1: Oh, give me the bad, and then we'll wind up on a good note.
2: I think about a half of the boomers are not financially prepared, and I would, for the length of life that's in front of them. And we have been very much a live-for-today generation, you know, be here now, which psychologically is a very cool way to live, but financially it can be a disaster. So I worry about the boomers with regard to how they're going to find themselves with limited financial resources in their later years if they stop working. On the good side, the boomers are a high-spirited bunch, particularly the women of this generation, and they have no intention of going to the sidelines. So you're going to see a more active, involved, aspirational, creative, powerful group of women and men in their 60s and 70s and 80s than the world has ever seen. And the marketplace will respond. There will be more interesting housing. There will be more community colleges opening their doors. There will be more health spas offering all sorts of welcoming programs for people who might have had a hip or a knee replaced. You're going to also see breakthroughs in medicine that uh, are going to blow your mind. And so these boomers are going to push markets as they have always done so, but this time from the point of view of older adults, and they're going to create new versions of wellness and new versions of possibilities for older adults.
1: I cut a a cover off of Time magazine a few years ago. Uh, There's a baby on the cover. He's a beautiful cherubic baby. And the headline is, this baby could live to be 142 years old. And I saved it because it just made my stomach fall, right? I don't really want to live to be 142 years old in the way that the world is today. But I also wonder, hearing you talk about CRISPR and Alzheimer's and health breakthroughs, what's the number at this point?
2: Well, the human lifespan is believed to be somewhere between 110 and 120. And so if we could remove disease that's how long we'd live. In the next 15 years, there are going to be breakthroughs that could very well elevate the average life expectancy by 20 or 30 years. But then the question becomes, as you mentioned, what for? Uh, Is more life a good thing? Now, first of all, more life with health, with no dementia, starts to sound better than more life with illness and suffering and pain. But then what's our purpose, and how do we have the finances to go the distance, and how do we make something meaningful of ourselves in our later years? I'll give you an example. Right before COVID, I uh, was speaking at a conference, and the other speaker was Harrison Ford. And of course, you know, I'm a fan of his movies, and he seems to be in every TV show and movie that's out right now in his late 70s. But at that point, he was talking about climate activism, and he about 1,000 people in the audience. And he said we got to get all the young people of the world planting trees, save the planet. And everybody cheered. And I had a private meeting with Harrison afterward. And, you know, and after I showed respect for his movies that I enjoyed, I said to him, hey, you know, there's a billion people in the world over the age of 60 right now, and nobody has tasked them with anything. Why don't you get them planting some trees? And he looked at me and he said, Ken, I've never thought of that. And that's part of the problem. We have created longevity But we haven't created any purpose or meaning or involvement to it. And I think we've got to do some social engineering there as well.
1: Well, Harrison Ford is my favorite. So you got me with that one. Everybody (laughs) should watch Shrinking. He is the best thing in it. Right? Absolutely. And Ken, I I could talk to you all day, but I actually have to wrap this up. Thank you so much for making us think. I really appreciate you being here.
2: Always good to be with you, Gene.
1: We've got to take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market? Inflation rates? Talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, They can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833 752 6333 or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com put your uncertainties to rest once and for all schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now Joining me to talk about reimagining the second half of our lives is one of my favorite people. And let me just put it out there that Michael Clinton, my guest, is also a good friend of mine. He is the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. He is the author most recently of Roar, Roar Into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. He's a marathon runner. He is amazing. You should all have a person like Michael Clinton in your life. And I'm excited that you've embarked on this journey, Michael, with the Roar Report to help all of us, and I say us as people who are in the second half of our lives, try to figure out what to do with it.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, Jane, thank you so much for having me and right back at you. And um, you know, Roar into the Second Half of Your Life was the book that really spawned what is going to become more action like the Roar Report, which is really putting a a spotlight on this whole concept of the new longevity. You know, if you're 50 and healthy, you're going to probably live to be 90. And, um, you know, I've had the honor of now joining the Stanford Center on Longevity at Stanford University. And what we're all learning is that the 100-year life is here. So we all have uh, a lot of living to do. And the script that we've been following is all going to change and get scrambled up because of these long this longer life that we're all going to have.
1: ROAR is an acronym, and, and it's an acronym for the steps that you took to reimagine your own life and now are guiding people through the ROAR report, which is a business intelligence tool to help companies and individuals understand the 50-plus marketplace. But, but you used it yourself before you figured out that it could really help others. Can you talk to me about what it is and how it works?
3: Sure. You know, it's, it's really uh, the acronym is the first R is the reimagination process and how we all have to almost adopt and adapt that as a daily practice in our lives as we're really visioning where we want to go and what we want to do. And, you know, starting a second career at 50 plus is used to be once upon a time, a difficult thing, and it's not so much anymore. But reimagining where you want to go the O is, uh, you know, owning where you are right now and all the elements of owning where you are right now, your, your health, your financial well-being, your situation. You've got to sort of have a baseline to work with. The A is the action plan. And, you know, I think the thing that's been most um, interesting to people has been this concept of life layering. You know, the idea is you put aside your role as parent, partner, and employee and who are you then? Those are big roles that we all have. But you know, how do you build other personas as to who you are? Because kids grow up and go away, and jobs come and go, and hopefully the partner sticks around. But you know, there's there are a lot of uh, people who you know have realized that those role models aren't what are going to sustain them as individuals. So life layering is a is a tool that can help you get there. And then the final R is relationships and reassessing them because the people in your life, your 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 partners, your friends, your kids, your husband, your wife, your siblings, they are really the people that are going to be the ones to help you move forward in the new envisioned future that you want. So the acronym has lots of tools and tips attached to it uh, in the book, as you know.
1: You interviewed, I know, 40 people for the book, and, and some of them were well-known, some of them not so well-known, all of them over the age of 45. And they had, at that age, pivoted their life 180 degrees from, from being in one place to being um, in another. Were there any common threads that you found with these folks who were able to do this successfully?
3: Yeah, there were, there were a few. Um, first of all, they were uh, optimistic, curious um, people. They really saw the future in a, in a bright way, even if they didn't have the, the wherewithal, the financial wherewithal or the educational wherewithal to change. They all, they all had a similarity. But I think the one thing that they all said which really stuck out is that it took them a year or two to go through the process to figure out what big change they were going to make. I mean, there was a woman I interviewed at 53 who was a, a writer and a journalist who decided she wanted to become a medical doctor at 53, and, and you know how challenging that is at 23. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now in her early 60s, and she's a medical doctor, but she she talks about the process that she went through and the drive and passion she had to do that. And at 60, she said, you know, I'll be a doctor for the rest of my life and make a contribution. But they really all put in the time, the introspection, the soul searching, the really trying to figure out what it is that they wanted to do next in their, in their lives.
1: Sometimes when you go down a path like this, when you go through a change like this, the woman who decided to come become a doctor, medical school is expensive person wants to start a business. That may be expensive. Maybe you're working as an investment banker and you're not feeling it anymore and you want to devote your life to doing something that feels more purposeful but at a reduced salary. Did you talk about how these folks managed the financial transition?
3: Yeah. Well, part of it is that that O of ROAR, which is really owning your current financial position in terms of where's your flexibility and your possibility. I I love the story of one woman, Polly, who actually ended up selling her house and using some of the proceeds to fund a master's degree to pivot into a new career. Um, She said her financial planner said it might've not been the greatest decision, but he understood how it was the decision that she had to make. So yeah, a lot of it has to do with Um, you know, what your current financial situation is. However, what I discovered is that, you know, a lot of people would say, well, I don't have the time and I don't have the money. Well, time is what we make of it. And it's, it's really surprising how much money is available for people in midlife, not just for higher education, but also for the trades. And in certain states, if your income is at a certain level, you can go to college for free. Um, We all know about MOOCs and Coursera and the Khan Academy. There are lots of ways um, to get monies. ScholarshipOwl.com is the source that the woman who became a doctor used. She ended up having her entire education funded through scholarships. So it's being inventive and creative and, you know, digging into the sources that can help fund these things. On the other end of the spectrum, there was a woman who was a restaurant worker, and she, you know, post-COVID, didn't want to be in restaurant work anymore. She didn't have a lot of money. And she ended up taking a course, um, a free course online, and ended up becoming a nurse's aide. Uh, and that was her pivot into doing something more purposeful. It, it cost her nothing. And mm-hmm. she got on a path and on a track, um, you know, in a, different, in a different course of life.
1: What I think is so amazing about what you've done with Roar is that I don't think... Think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that this becoming a business and a company was intentional from the outset. I think you had an idea for a book, and it turned out to be a really good book and a book that sold really well. And on the heels of that book, you started getting asked to make speeches, and you started thinking about other ways that this concept could have legs, and you walked through the door's that opened. That, I think, is an excellent model for people to try to follow as they chart out their roar. Can you talk a little bit about it?
3: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, Jean. It was, it was, the idea of the book was to get something off my chest, quite honestly, because I was seeing what was going on in the country with all these people, 50 plus, and how there was a disconnect. The culture and the people have been way ahead of the institutions, business and government and entertainment. And so the book was sort of, I was going to write the book and, you know, get get it off my chest. And as you said, it kind of, you know, created a spark. We, we have a newsletter now that is over 13,000 subscribers in nine months. People can access it on roarbymichaelclinton.com, but it, it all kind of grew organically. And I think to your point, Whatever thread you take in terms of an interest or a passion or something you're engaged in, you know, let the world open up to you in terms of what it might bring you and seize that opportunity. And I think that's kind of what's happening now. So, you know, the Rural Report, as you mentioned, is going to be a B2B subscription service to really bring insights to to companies and businesses and employers all about what's going to happen and what's happening already in in the country. So yeah, seize seize the moment, as they say.
1: Absolutely, Michael. This is great. Always such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for disrupting your vacation to talk to us.
3: Thanks, Jean. Thanks so much.
1: Now we are pleased to welcome Erin Smith. She is the Director of Estate Planning at Edelman Financial Engines and has two decades of experience. Um, She's also a lawyer admitted to the bars of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I am delighted to join you. Thank you, Jean. Of course. So I I ran across a very alarming statistic on caring.com. They did a, a will survey just this year, and they found two out of three people do not have any type of estate planning document. That's just unconscionable, I think, particularly when we are talking about parents of young children, but I'll take a step back and stop being judgmental and just ask you,
4: who should have an estate plan? So we believe that everyone needs an estate plan. It doesn't matter your marital status. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your net worth. Everyone needs an estate plan.
1: And what goes into an estate plan? What are the specific documents that people need?
4: So every estate plan consists of at least three documents. Um, some of these documents are effective when you're alive but incapacitated, and others become effective upon your passing. Um, so the first of these documents is a durable power of attorney. So the durable power of attorney, this is a document where you are nominating someone to make financial and other healthcare decisions on your behalf. The second document is uh, a medical power of attorney, or this is sometimes called an advanced director for healthcare, or it's sometimes called a healthcare proxy. But this is the document where you're naming someone to make healthcare decisions for you if you're not able to. And they don't have to be the same people, right? They don't have to be the same people. It can be more than one person, but it's really important to be naming somebody. Because if something happens to you and you become incapacitated, there is no one, including a spouse, who can make non-healthcare decisions on your behalf. And then if something happens to you and you're not able to make healthcare decisions for yourself, that gets messy too. So those documents are really important. And then the third document of an estate plan, this is your last will and testament. And your last will and testament does two really important things. The first thing it's going to do is it's going you're able to nominate a guardian for your minor child. So if both parents pass away, you get to state who's going to be in charge of raising your child. The second thing that a last will and testament does is that you're able to name an executor. And the executor is the person who's in charge of settling out the estate. So this is a person who's in charge of gathering all your assets, making sure any bills are paid. Maybe they need to sell real estate, get that final income tax return filed. And then the third thing that a last will and testament does is it sets forth your wealth transfer plan. And that's just a fancy way of saying who gets what when you're gone. And whether that be money or that be things, but you're able to state who gets what when you're gone. Where do living
1: trusts, and for that matter, living wills, where do they fit into estate planning?
4: So a living will is part of your lifetime incapacitation planning. So a living will is a document where you are able to set forth your end of life wishes if you have any specific wishes. So some people say, you know, I'd like maximum pain relief possible, even if that shortens my life expectancy. Other people will say, I want to be fighting to the end. So keep the antibiotics coming, um, keep the resuscitations coming, keep that artificial nutrition coming, or there's something in the middle. But with the living will, you're able to state your wishes and so that if anything bad happens to you and you're not able to communicate your wishes, that your family isn't having to guess about what you would want because you've written it down. A living trust is different though. A living trust is different. So, a living trust is a fourth estate planning document that some people incorporate as part of their estate plan. And a living trust, which is also called a revocable trust or a revocable trust, depending on your accent, um, I use the term living trust. But a living trust is simply a will substitute. So, for individuals who incorporate a living trust as part of their estate plan, they still have a last will and testament. And their last will and testament says, anything I own at the time of my death, I leave to my living trust. And then it's a living trust that sets forth the wealth transfer plan. But the reason that people might incorporate a living trust is that it can add a layer of efficiency at an individual's passing. So for individuals who incorporate a living trust as part of their estate plan, at their passing, their fiduciary, which is essentially their executor, it's called a successor trustee, but it's the same thing that individual has almost near immediate access to cash. So there's access to cash to do things like pay the funeral expenses, pay for the memorial luncheon, keep the lights on in the house. If there are relatively young children, say kids in college, there's a mechanism to make the tuition payments, make the rent payments, continue the allowance. Because for individuals who don't incorporate a living trust as part of their estate plan, their executor doesn't have access to cash until the will has been probated. And in many parts of the country, probate isn't a huge deal. It's just the validation of a last will and testament. So it's a process of the executor going down to the courthouse with the death certificate and with the will, handing that over, filling out some paperwork, and then getting back a piece of paper saying that they are formally the executor. Most of the time, it's not a huge deal But it can take some time. So in a best case scenario, it's a couple of weeks. If it's a very busy courthouse, it could be a couple of months. And in that period of time, there's no access to cash. The executor doesn't have access to cash. Are there any
1: other pieces, Erin, that we need to talk about that go into the estate plan itself?
4: Absolutely. So what is a really important thing to know is that there are certain assets that aren't governed by a last will and testament and aren't governed by a living trust. And these are any assets that are titled as a joint tenants with writer survivorship. In an instance where, you know, for example, husband and wife, they might own a house titled as joint tenants with writer survivorship. Husband and wife are both alive on Monday, husband passes away on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the wife becomes owner of that property simply by operation of law just because of the way it's titled. So it doesn't matter what the will might say or what the trust might say. The other assets that aren't governed by a last will and testament or a living trust are any assets that have a beneficiary designation. So 401ks, IRAs, life insurance, Um, Payable on death provisions on checking accounts or or transfer on death provisions on investment accounts, those are the functional equivalent of beneficiary designations. And beneficiary designations will always trump anything that the will or the living trust provides. So be sure that those beneficiary designations coordinate with your overall estate plan. Because beneficiary designations have um, the potential to derail a very beautiful estate plan simply because they're not governed by the trust. Yeah, if
1: you had a big life insurance policy that you set up when you were married to your first spouse and you never changed the beneficiary and you died, then your ex could inherit a boatload of money and completely, as you said, derail the picture. So so I get it. When we look at the whole thing, plan itself how do you recommend going about getting these documents and and setting up a plan and how often do we have to revise it
4: so when it comes to estate planning we believe that everyone should really be engaging with an attorney to draft their estate planning documents um, and when it comes to updating an estate plan you know everyone wants to take a look at their estate plan whenever there is a big life event. If there's a birth, whether it's kids, whether it's additional children, if it's grandchildren, retirements, if someone you know unfortunately passes away, if you move from one state to another, these are all major life events that can trigger a review of the estate plan. So you just want to make sure that you're taking a look at your plan and that in light of those major life events, that your estate plan is still working for you. And even if you don't have any major life events, You know, take a look at your estate plan, you know, every three years, every five years, you know, pick your anniversary year that ends in a zero or a five. And remember that that's going to be the year that you take a look at your estate plan. Because with an estate plan, you're going to create the plan that works best for you in year one. You know, and and as you get into year five and year seven and year 10, your family changes, your net worth changes. And so you want to make sure that the estate plan that you created in year one still works for you in year seven or year 10. And if it doesn't, that can be a reason to go back to your attorney and and make some tweaks to your estate plan. But once you've got the plan, you do have to
1: talk about it, right? I mean, my mother's been so clear that everything is split equally, that it will be a surprise to precisely no one
4: what is going to happen. I think talking about it is really important. So let's say you have four kids, and one of those children is going to be your healthcare representative and your attorney, in fact. Certainly, you want to let that person know that if something happens to you, they're going to be in charge. They really need to know that. But it can also be beneficial to tell the other kids as well, because again, you're going to stave off those fights. So you sit down, you talk to the four kids and say, hey, look, if anything happens to me your sister's in charge. Your sister's in charge of healthcare. Your sister's in charge of finances. That's how it's going to be. You guys don't have to worry about it because I've already made the decision for you. Erin, do you create estate plans at edelmanfinancialengines.com? So we do not draft estate planning documents here at Edelman Financial Engines, but we can help you gear up for that first meeting with your estate planning attorney. So very often, we spend time with clients asking what their wealth transfer goals are, talking through what estate administration might look like, talking through some of the decisions that need to be made in any estate plan. Um, for example, you know who's going to be in charge of healthcare decisions? Who's going to be in charge of financial decisions? Who's going to be your executor? And we can talk through with clients what their general wealth transfer plan might look like. Uh, Do they want to leave everything to their children in equal shares? Would they like a carve-out for charity or a carve-out for grandchildren? Or would they like to leave an unequal distribution? And the idea is that then when you do meet with your estate planning attorney, uh, that you have a roadmap and you are 50% of the way there by having that conversation with us first. Erin, thank you so
1: much for being here today and, and talking us through these very gnarly issues. Oh, Gina, it was my pleasure. And that's it for this special show. Next week, we'll be back with an all-new episode. In the meantime, if you have questions about how living longer could impact your financial retirement or estate plan, give the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call and talk with one of their planners. They can help you strategize for the 100-year life and beyond. And if you enjoyed these conversations, I hope you'll check out my podcast specifically for women. It's called Her Money with Gene Chatsky. Also, be sure to subscribe to Everyday Wealth wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or visit everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.
0: You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.